right? Good morning. Hey, let's, let's pray for just a moment. Would you bow with me once again? God, we pray that you would come in this place. And we thank you that you are everywhere, but we pray today that you would meet with us in a special way today, God, in a dynamic way, touching the hearts of every person, God, touching the lives of every person. I pray today that you would come and convict and convince, guide us in your truth today. I thank you that you are the God who is with us, that you are the God who is for us, God. I pray today you would challenge us, that you would take my lips and you would speak through me today, but it would certainly would not be about anything that I could bring or I could say, but it would truly be about your word and about you, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in this place today, God. I pray you'd minister hope and peace and joy in this season of joy, God. And we thank you in Jesus' blessed holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to remain standing just for the reading of God's word. These are some familiar words, but today we're gonna plumb the depths of this part of scripture. And I'm reading in the gospel of Matthew in the first chapter. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, Jesus. And these are the words of the living God. I invite you to be seated, but as you're being seated, look to the person around you and say, we made it to Christmas. We made it. Woo. And I, I wanna be the first to wish you Merry Christmas, but I wanna tell you today, the, the, the theme, I, I really could not wait to be here today and just share with you from God's word and jump into this Christmas season. I wanna thank Diane Ryber and her team for decorating this place. They did a tremendous job. Woo. And the message today is Christmas essentials. Christmas essentials. There are some things woven into the Christmas story that for us as believers are essentials. They're non-negotiables. These are things that we need to be looking at during the Christmas season. And so what I did was I got up on the internet and I Googled Christmas essentials just to see what would pop up. And I'm gonna give you really one of the, actually the largest retailer in America tells us these are your Christmas, this, you can write these down as part of maybe your shopping strategy, all right? But this is what the internet says are your Christmas essentials. Just let me share. These are not meant to be funny, by the way, but if you wanna laugh, you can. Let me see. We have the Beard King. That's a Christmas essential. 
You can avoid all the hairs laying around in the kitchen, on the bathroom sink. Beard King, of course, I don't need that, but we have the basketball mug for hot chocolate. I think that's pretty cool. Victrola. Hey, Vino is back, and I knew it would be. I could not wait. I went to my son's at Thanksgiving. What do we do? We listen to records. You people that are a little bit older, you're from that generation, the 70s and 80s. Listen, our, our kids are listening to vinyl one more time, and I love it, all right? That's a great gift for the holidays. What, I feel like I'm advertising up here. Let's flip it on over. What else do we have here? Oh, we can make s'mores in the house, right? We don't need to go out and brave the cold. We can make s'mores for Christmas. That's just a few of the essentials for Christmas right there. But I want to give you the real essentials and the real non-negotiables. I actually did a funeral this week for a friend. And we, I've known this guy for like over four decades. That dates me a little bit. It's, it, I've known this guy most of my life. Uh, he came to the church here, was really into the word of God and loved being here. And I was gonna baptize him, but his family was afraid he'd get hurt, like trying to get into baptismal. And so the last time we baptized, uh, he sat down front here with me and, and we actually, you know, I actually did his funeral this week. And I was saying in the funeral that to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord, Right? And when he closed his eyes at Jameson Hospital last Thursday, when he opened them again, the next face he saw was the face of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. And I I was reminded that each one of us someday is gonna stand before God. And I believe, give give an account for what we did with what God gave us. The time he gave us, the resources he gave us, And I don't believe that God is gonna ask you when you stand before him, when you die or whenever Jesus returns, if that happens, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. We're gonna stand before God someday. And I don't think he's gonna say, hey, did you get the theology on predestination right? You know, I don't think he's gonna ask that, although that's important. I've spent a lot of time studying theology. I don't think he's gonna say, hey, where did you come down on the tribulation period? I believe that when we stand before God, He's gonna ask each and every one of us, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the son that I sent? Did you have a relationship with him? Or were you happy to just sit in church on Sunday like I did for many years? Or did you have a life-giving relationship with my son that I sent as your sacrifice? Did you live for him? Was he your ultimate purpose in life? Was he your ultimate value in life? And were you willing to obey him? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Were you really willing to obey Jesus? And were you willing to share him with other people? Were you willing to follow that great commission to share Jesus with other people? Or were you happy just to keep him unto yourself? You know, I see a lot of people that, are talking a lot about how bad things are right now and that our country is falling apart. But I wonder if those same people are sharing Jesus with other people because that is what our people need. And the revival begins with us. And I believe someday God's gonna ask, did you share Jesus with other people? You know, we're, we're actually celebrating Advent. We throw that word around Advent and it actually is from a Latin word, which means arrival. This is really the season of arrival, of Advent. The the, the celebration 
that goes on after 2,000 years that there is an arrival of someone who is like none other, a person who is unparalleled. Oh, and by the way, this person has impacted culture and humanity more than any other person. And we as followers of Christ know that he is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And we celebrate his arrival. But here's what I want you to see today. And this is what I'm excited about sharing with you. Embedded in this Christmas story that we read every year. And many times, if we're gonna be honest, we just kind of, you know, just kind of glaze over the surface, skim the surface of this story. But embedded in this story are some essentials for us as followers of Christ. There are some non-negotiables in this story that we must embrace. And I want you to see that today. There are certain aspects of the Christmas story that have eternal ramifications for us. All right, so we are gonna dig into that. You ready for this? We're gonna kick off the Christmas season with essentials. Here's the first one, and I wanna dive into this. It's the virgin birth. And we talk a lot about this, but I want us to think about the ramifications of the virgin birth for just a moment. Actually, in verse 18, what I just read in Matthew, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Can I hit pause right there for just a moment and remind you that Matthew was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. He was a Jew. He's writing to Jewish people here, originally. And he's telling them, this is how the birth of Jesus not just Jesus, because there's a lot of people named Jesus. That was a common name, but he makes a, a distinction here by saying he was the Messiah. Some translations say the Christ or the anointed one, the Messiah. And the people reading this in the first century knew exactly what he was talking about. Because if you go back in Matthew, a few verses before this, it describes the, the, the generations between Abraham, which was the beginning of God's people, the Hebrew people, and Jesus was at least, if you read Matthew for yourself, at least 42 generations. Every one of those generations was probably waiting. When is he coming? When is this anointed king, this Messiah coming? And probably the people were hopeful. Think about this. All through wandering in the wilderness, the captivity in Egypt when they were enslaved, these people had been waiting. When, when they were in exile in Babylon, the people had been waiting through years of darkness. The people had been walking, who had been walking in darkness were waiting for this great light to come. They had been waiting for generation upon generation. But when he finally came, most of the people missed it. He came to those who were his own and his own received him not. And Matthew is saying, listen, this is exactly what happened because the people had missed it. Listen, don't miss it. Don't miss it. I was in church for 25 years and missed it year after year after year. Don't miss what Matthew is saying right here because it's for you. This is how the birth of Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah took place. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. If you remember Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophecy, 
the virgin will be with child. The people that were reading this in the first century knew that, understood it, and this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. She was pledged, she was betrothed to be married. Now, this is not like being engaged in, in 21st century America. You know, if you're engaged, you could break off that engagement. I'm not telling you to do that today, but it's been known to happen. I mean, there have been people that have gotten up to the, to the, uh, the altar and decide, wait a minute, no, 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 no. Like the runaway bride type thing. That is not what this is like here. These people were, they were married contractually. And I'll just tell you how it worked. Part of it was that Joseph had given Mary's father some, some compensation for this. That's the way it worked in those days. In fact, if you go through the gospels, you will see on a number of occasions, and even in the book of Matthew, and we'll see this, that he was referred to as her husband. Contractually, under the law of God's people, the Jewish people, these two were husband and wife, but there would be about a one-year waiting period in there when they were betrothed to be married. They just had not, as Matthew said, come together yet. They weren't living together yet. They had not consummated their marriage yet. They were pledged to be married. And then there was an unplanned pregnancy. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced an unplanned pregnancy, but I can imagine, and we don't see it in scripture, what that was like. Because under the law, she could have been killed for this. And I can't imagine the conversation with Joseph, and I don't know how old Joseph was. I mean, people lived to be 30, maybe 40 years old at that time. He was a young guy. This kid, I mean, this woman, Mary, is one of the best people that ever lived, an exemplary person. I mean, she was chosen to be the mother of the king of kings. And Joseph, I'm sure, was enamored by this girl. I mean, what a catch. She's married and she's gonna be my wife. Incredible. What a godly young woman I have. And then she sits him down and says, guess what? I'm gonna have a baby. I'm pregnant. Can you imagine the response? But what Matthew is saying here is this, listen, and I'm sure Joseph was absolutely heartbroken over this. I am sure. How would you respond? But what Matthew is saying here is this pregnancy had nothing to do with anything sexual. It was not that Mary was out two-timing on Joseph, cheating on him, but there's something powerful. This is one of the essentials of our faith the birth of our savior, the incarnation of God himself, something unique, something of the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke says that the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. And just imagine the power of this moment. One commentary I read this week, I described it this way. It was a singular, powerful, invisible, and immediate operation of the Holy Ghost. And Mary is with child in a way that no one else had been with child before or since, the virgin birth. Now, I love the fact here, and this is probably another sermon for another week, but Mary's willingness to actually do this. A young girl saying, yes, my soul glorifies the Lord. Yes, because we are living in a modern world that wants to exclude God. And the truth is that even people in the church, many times, the truth is, yeah, we sit here on Sunday, but there are parts of our lives where we exclude God. And Mary welcomes 
God into herself, into her physical body. She is willing to invite God in, to let the Son of God in. This Christmas, and I don't know what your spiritual status is or how many times you've been in church, not that it matters. Are you willing to let the Son of God into your life? The virgin birth. And incidentally, Joseph was not his father physically. If Joseph had been his father, he would have been just another person. He would, just, he would have been another sinner in a long line of sinners because we've all sinned. But Jesus was something different because his father was a perfect, sinless God. Think about this for a moment. Every time Jesus prays in the New Testament, he prays to his father. Even when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, our father. The only time Jesus was does not refer to him, his father, as father is when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time it is his father, the perfect father. And the result is the perfect son, the only perfect, flawless human being who has ever lived. And he became the perfect sacrifice. And it all began with the virgin birth. And he went from lying in a wooden manger to hanging on a wooden cross. And that was his purpose. The only perfect human being who, get this now, was without sin. And yet he carried your sin, the Bible says, in his body on the cross and paid the price for us. That's probably more of, a, of, a, of an Easter sermon, but it began with the virgin birth. It's essential for us to believe that and embrace it, the virgin birth. Let me read the next verse, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. This shows you the kind of person Joseph was. He could have flown off the handle and just had this woman punished for this. She could have been killed. He doesn't do that. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But in doing that, Joseph is running away from the blessing. He's running away from the only means of salvation he will ever have. He needed a savior. Mary needed a savior. Matthew needed a savior. You and I need a savior. And Joseph, his first impulse is to run away from that blessing. See, I mention that because that's what most people do. Most people will get in, in, engaged with Christmas and get caught up in the music, and I love the music of Christmas, but they'll get caught up in the decorations and the color and the gifts, and they'll miss the true blessing of Christmas. Listen, this Christmas, take a step toward Jesus. Don't run away from the only salvation you will ever have. The blessing, the real meaning of Christmas is Jesus. And he didn't want to expose her to disgrace and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This had to be very tough. Listen, a lot of people have been through a hard season. We've had a number of people who've experienced loss in our church and illness in our church. But that first Christmas was not calm and it was not bright, like the song says. They had an unplanned pregnancy. 
which probably caused a lot of problems that aren't completely described in the scripture. They had to travel 80 or 90 miles down to Bethlehem from Galilee. And by the way, it never says in the scripture that Mary rode on a donkey. She might have. She might have walked the whole way. There was no room for them in the inn. In fact, in scripture, there's never an innkeeper. That was created somewhere in Hollywood. You never see an innkeeper in scripture. And Herod, this madman, ultimately wants to kill the young boys of that region. So it was a hard Christmas season. And maybe you've had a hard Christmas season. But listen, don't lose sight of what Christmas is all about. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, this Christmas. And listen, never underestimate the power of God to work in the lives of his people. And we see it in this story, and you see it in your story. Never underestimate the power of God to work in your life. Keep holding on to Jesus this Christmas and focus in on what Christmas is really all about. And incidentally, you know one of the things that this scripture shows us, and one of the things I I think nearly every Bible story shows us, is that the greatest blessing come on the heels of the greatest stress and anxiety. The greatest blessing comes on the heels of the greatest stress and anxiety. That's at the heart of most of the Bible stories. And it's the heart of this story. If they had known what he was going to do and what the ultimate outcome would be, they probably wouldn't have had the stress and anxiety. And you know, the same is true in your life. God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life. And I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. And I don't know what your future here on earth is gonna be, but you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I promise you that. And he's prepared an eternity for us. We actually went this week to the Van Gogh exhibit in Pittsburgh. And I don't know if you're you know, into like the whole impressionism thing, phenomenal. One of the most phenomenal things I've seen. In fact, my wife and I went in and they said, you can stay in there as long as you want. We, we sat through it, the whole thing twice. So powerful. Van Gogh, 1880s and 1890s. He was a guy, I believe, was a believer. He was actually a missionary in Belgium for a period of time, was a pastor's kid, had severe mental illness, and perhaps the most revered artist in the history of humanity, and did things that no one had done before or since, but during his lifetime had no success whatsoever, was completely impoverished, looked down upon, spent a lot of his time institutionalized, went from job to job and place to place and thing to thing and basically never really sold anything. They had no earthly success. But if he could have seen what ultimately would happen with his work, I think his life probably would have been completely different if he could see the future. He ultimately took his life. He didn't start painting until he was 32 years old. And he only lived to be 37. And I think he did 600 and some paintings. In recent years, one of them sold for $66 million. But during his lifetime, had absolutely nothing. Sometimes if we could see the future, it would change our perspective. If Mary and Joseph could see what the future was gonna be, I think it would have changed their perspective. If they could see the magnitude of Christ, listen, If you could see what God has for your future now and in eternity, 
I think it would change our perspective completely. Listen, this Christmas, keep your eyes focused upon the one who is our future, who is our hope, the one who is unrivaled, the one who is unmatched. Listen, he's in a category that is all his own. He is not a regular person. He is not just a good man, but he is the God man. And it all began with a virgin birth. That's the first essential. Here's the second one. You ready? Obedience. But after he had considered, this is Joseph now, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He has a dream and an angel appears to him. I wish God would do that sometime in my life. Has there ever been a time when you, I just, God, I just need you to tell me what you want me to do. Could you show up in a dream and maybe just tell me? It hasn't happened yet. But for Joseph, it happened four times. If you go through this scripture in Matthew, there are four times when the angel appears to him each time in a dream. But here's the incredible thing. You never hear Joseph speaking in scripture. He, he, he probably did speak, but Matthew or the other writers, he is mentioned in all four gospels, but he never says anything in scripture. He's a man of few words. And if actions speak louder than words, Joseph speaks volumes. And he does it by just being obedient. He just does what God tells him to do. If you go over to Matthew 2.13, there's a place where the angel shows up again and says, hey, I want you to take your wife and son down to Egypt. He just does it. They don't even wait till morning. They get up right then and they go to the last place on earth they would wanna be. They just go directly to Egypt, obedience. And I have noticed in the church of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of people who do a lot of talking, a lot of talking, but are they really living it out? You know, amen, brother, and bless the Lord, and God is good. And, you know, but are you really living all that out? Are you really, truly walking in obedience to God? That challenges me today, and I hope it challenges you today. Because simple obedience is what God desires for each of us. You want to know what God's will is for you today? Obedience. Whatever God's calling me to do, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, we come to church, and we want all the warm fuzzies, and I love that. I love coming here and just experiencing the presence of God, but we can do all that and then not walk in obedience to God. Our lives, at least this is what I've noticed in my own life, is that our lives, many times we have the tendency to following our own will, my will, to naturally wanna make ourselves look good, look good to others. And I think it's good to do well, but you know what God's will is? Obey. Just obey. I want to do what God's calling me to do. And because Joseph, he never says anything, he just obeyed. And I believe that's why he was chosen to raise the greatest person who's ever lived, Jesus. I was looking through this scripture and something jumped out at me. And I tried to find some commentary on it, but I couldn't find any theologian that spoke about this. But I just want to share this with you today. And I don't want to read into the scripture, but I think this is significant. The, the, the angel appears to Mary, but it is in real time. 
She's awake. The angel shows up, right? And then you have Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist. Angel shows up to him in the temple in real time while he's awake. Joseph, four times, the angel shows up. Each time, it's in a dream. Why would the angel show up to these other people while they're awake, face to face? I think one thing, you'd need counseling after that, I would think. Probably post-traumatic stress would set in. I saw an angel. And yet with Joseph, it was while he was asleep. Why? And I couldn't find any theologian who would tell me why. I mean, just, I, I wonder if Joseph wasn't listening to God when he was awake. Maybe he had a lot of anxiety. With everything that was going on, I'm sure that he did. And I will tell you, there are times in our lives when we could be so stressed out that we aren't even listening to God. We are so distracted with the things of this life and many times with the problems of this life. And I'm telling you, it can be overwhelming. What loss and the difficulties that we have been through as a society. And many times we can just be so distracted that we're not even listening to God. And maybe it was only when he was asleep that he was really calm enough to really listen to what God was saying. This Christmas, let's stop and really listen to what God is saying to us and decide I want what God wants. I want to walk in obedience. That's the second one, obedience. Here's the third one. The purpose of Jesus. Everything that Jesus does and everything that Jesus says in the Bible is for a purpose. And here it is kind of in one verse. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves. We sing a couple songs that have those words in it. Jesus saves. You see that written in subways and on walls. Jesus saves. You see it all over the place. Jesus saves. Listen, people cannot save us. You cannot save yourself. The government cannot save you. The priest cannot save you. The church people cannot save you. Krishna cannot save you. Muhammad cannot save you because they are all just people. Jesus is the only one who saves. And he came, why? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came with a purpose. And he saves you from hell, for one thing. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus, who said, there's no one that comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. He is our only means of salvation. But you know what? Jesus didn't just save me from hell. He saved me from myself. He saved me in the now. He saved me for himself. You know, he chose you. You are chosen by God, chosen by God. And he picked me up and he gave me a new life. 
Here's what, here's what John, how John describes it in John 1. He came to that which was his own. That's the Jewish people. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, I hope that is us today, my friends, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, that you might be a child of God. That is the purpose of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of Jesus Christ. You may feel like an outsider. I don't know if anyone here ever felt like an outsider. I spent a lot of years of my life feeling like an outsider. But I want you to know today, you're never an outsider with God. To as many as received Him, He gave the right to be called, the privilege to be called a child of God. You're never alone. You may be alone at Christmas, but you're really never alone because there's a God who calls Himself Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the God who is present with us. A.W. Tozier said that most Christians are theological Christians. And I think theology is important. But he said that people are trying to be happy without a sense of God's presence in, your li in their lives. Listen, God is present with you. The greatest gift that God gives you is the present of His presence in your life. The present of His presence in your life. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is with you, within you, 24-7. There is a scripture that says that He sings over you. That's the God that we serve. He was with you before you woke up this morning. He's gonna be with you after you're asleep tonight. He is always with you. And you know, I have noticed that the best experiences in life, they're lacking when we experience them alone by ourselves. But there are many people in our church who know what it's like to be alone. My mother lived alone for many years. And I used to try to be with her as much as I could be with her because it's so hard to be alone. We experience life better when we're with other people. A, a number of years ago, the church I was working for sent me to a conference out in Los Angeles. And I went by myself because they didn't have the resources to send your spouse with you. And the one thing I always wanted to do was go running down at Laguna Beach. I'd never been to Laguna Beach, but I thought it'd be kind of cool to go running to Laguna Beach. I went down there by myself and I'm calling my wife and said, someday I want you to come here with me because this place is amazing. And I went running down Laguna Beach and many years later, I took my family back there with all of us. And it was a lot better when we did it together. It didn't mean anything when I, when I did it by myself. Listen, there is a God who is Emmanuel, the God who's with us. A God who wants to share your life and experience life with you. He came because he wanted to be with us. And listen, not just now, but he's the God who is Emmanuel, the God who is with us for all of eternity. And he came to save you for that purpose so that you could be with him. The purpose of Jesus. Jesus saves. And here's the next thing, the divinity of Christ. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Listen, Jesus is God. 
the God of the universe, the God who is with us, the God who holds all things in place. All things were created by Him, for Him. He is God in the flesh. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. He said, I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me from now on, you have, you've seen Him and you know Him. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word, what? Was God. The divinity of Jesus. The world misses that. That He wasn't just a good man, but He was God in the flesh. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And I wanna look you in the eye today, and I don't know what your church status is, but I wanna tell you it's not a fable, it's not folklore, it's not foolishness, but it is God Himself in the flesh. That's why we have the trees and the music and the celebration this time of year. It's because God Himself made Himself a man and dwelt among us. It's an essential, it's a non-negotiable. It's something that we need not debate. He came for us, the one and only, the unparalleled, the one who was without equal, without rival, unmatched. And the thing is, he's personal and he wants to know you. And he already does know you. He, he knows what you have going on in your life. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows all the good things that are happening in your life and He knows when you don't have it all together, believe me. He sees all and knows all because He is God in the flesh who came to seek and to save. And the scripture says that whoever believes in Him, whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish but would have everlasting life. Whoever, that means if you have made mistakes, He came for you. If you've had a tough past, He came for you. If you've been addicted, if you're battling addiction, He came for you. If you are battling unbelief and you just have a hard time believing this Christmas, I want you to know that He came for you. If you have been abused, He came for you. If you've been the abuser, He came for you. No matter what your past might be, there is a God who has a future for you. Amen? This is the God of the universe who came and became man, became man for us, for you. So I want us to bow our heads before him right now. And just remember, we're bowing before Jesus here. And in this moment right now, if you want to commit yourself in obedience to Christ, in the way that Joseph did, if you want to acknowledge Jesus as the God of the universe and commit yourself to Him, I don't care what your past church experience may have been, and maybe this is a chance for you to recommit or maybe commit for the first time, just put your hand up where you are right now if you wanna commit your life to Jesus, right here and right now, just to put your hand up and keep it up. And maybe it's recommitting, but just now, right now, to just call on that name, the name that's above every other name, the only name by which we might be saved, the name of the one who will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus, the one who became flesh and made his dwelling place among us, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you would just call on him right now and say, I give myself to you now. Help me to walk in obedience to you now. Forgive me of my sins, oh God. And help me to walk in obedience to you. Help me to follow your will and your purpose. And I'll live for you. Every moment of my life. And for all of eternity. And we pray today in the name of Emmanuel, the God who is with us, Jesus. Amen. And amen.